Alright, second episode. I think I'm ready. Mm-hmm. Alright. Mm-hmm. Testing one, two, three. Testing one, two, three. Welcome to the second ever episode of Emperor Talk with Emperor Mera. This episode was recorded evening time, Friday, July 19th. I originally planned to drop this episode Friday morning, but due to an unplanned night with the boys, I had to push it back to today. Which, based off the NFL statement about Tyreek Hill that was released early Friday, I think will help you folks resonate more with what I originally planned to talk about first on this episode. Before I continue any further with this episode, I just want to thank all of you loyal listeners, and I think I can say that now, for taking the time to listen to my pilot episode. In just about two months, I had almost 1,200 unique listeners listen to that one episode. It's really humbling to know that this new avenue I've taken to get my voice out there has been so well received and all of the comments and praise I've received through Twitter and throughout my business email just drives my passion to do this more. So I thank all of you for just taking the time out of your day to listen to me talk about the greatest team in the NFL I certainly know I will always root for with all my heart, the New York football giants. This episode is going to serve as a pre-training camp assessment, looking at positions and players of note, followed by some segments I plan to be following up throughout the year with. One of those segments is being being something I like to call the Curtis Riley of a week, which I think you folks are really going to like. Now, let's get this whole thing started. This is Emperor Talk with Emperor Mera. So many crazy things have happened this offseason, from Getman trading Odell to the Browns, which is crazy, but that still did happen this offseason, to people licking ice cream they don't plan to buy in stores and putting it back, which I don't get, but I guess people will literally do anything these days to get attention on social media. And now we're getting closer to the end game of training camp coming up next. But before we talk about T-Camp, we have an issue that we have to talk about concerning soon-to-be ex-giant safety Cameron Moore doing this. Cameron Moore arrested, accused of knocking a woman out. Police say it happened Thursday night after two women got into a fight outside his home in Linden, New Jersey. There is video of him of uh, number 29 there training with the team last month. The victim says she's been dating more and dropped by his home when he did not answer a text. Then a second woman showed up. An argument got physical. More than accused of stepping on the victim's neck and punching her in the face. The 22-year-old faces charges of aggravated assault. The Giants suspended more as the investigation continues. So Cameron Moore, this dude that only joined the Giants last season shortly after final roster cuts were made, and who was inactive a majority of the season, dude only played in two games, was arrested nine days ago for third degree assault after stepping on the woman's neck, stepping on her neck, and punching the same woman in the face where she then fell unconscious. Four days after the incident took place, the Giants suspended Moore from team activities, which means he will not be allowed to participate in training camp when it begins July 24th or July 22nd for the rookies. 
Now, I asked a question on Twitter, and I'll ask it again here on the podcast. What does a woman have to do for you to step on her neck and punch her with enough force to knock her unconscious? Did she kill your parents? Did she drown your kids? Did she say she was going to burn down your house? Or considering that Cameron's mother is alive and well, I couldn't find any information on his father, though. Um, he, Cameron has no children and no pyrotechnics were found in or around the crime scene. Did she simply just catch you cheating and in the argument you decided physicality was needed to make your point? The latter being what I think is what's going on here. It doesn't matter what a woman says or does. You do not put your hands on her with the intention to harm her. Ever. Now Cameron is 22. In about 10 days, I'll be the same age he is. My parents taught me, and I'm sure most of you, if not taught by your parents, you already know to never put your hands on a woman with the intention to harm them. To this day, I have never and nor do I plan to in the future to do such a thing. That rule applies to you even more when you are an NFL player and increasingly even more because you are an NFL player of Getman's New York Giants, a team in the NFL that you know and I know and certainly all the players and front office on the team knows have been all about culture, culture, culture for the last 10, 12 months. It is completely inexcusable for Cameron Moore to do these things. Completely inexcusable. Just think about... Just think about that moment before he did those things he's accused of doing. He cared more about making a statement by harming this poor woman with his actions than upholding the expectations that I'm sure his mother, his coaches in college, and more importantly, the Giants held him to. The Giants gave him an opportunity and was paying him so not only could he produce on the football field, but so that he could represent the team in everything that he does. That's how much trust the Giants had in Moore. What he did to that poor woman is not a reflection in any way of what the Giants are about, and it's not what any team in any sport should be about. When it gets to a certain point, folks, it's not about production in the field. It's about being a decent human being. And folks, if Moore truly did step on this woman's neck and truly did punch her in the face with enough force to knock her unconscious, this is far from being a decent human being. Get him the fuck off his team. And for the sake of an argument some might make about produ- being production-wise, it's not like he was up with Jamal Adams, who, by the way, should totally demand a trade to the Giants midseason if he's listening to this. He was simply Cameron Moore who played in only two games in 2018. And not because he was injured, but because Sherman Betcher were more confident in other talent they had on the team. He's more than expendable and a surefire candidate to be one of the first cuts in the beginning days of training camp. We're not having a Josh Brown 2.0. I have some choice words about other players who are allowed to continue their careers in this league despite accusations and the things that they're known to have done. But for the sake of time, I'm not going to get into it. But I will say this. It is a shame that the NFL still does not have its shit together when it comes to dealing with domestic violence. A damn shame. Moving into the next segment, we're going to be looking at T-Camp and discussing positions and players you should be looking at as it progresses. Body-wise, I would say in some ways they're similar, you know. Um, There's a lot of similarities, obviously, in their stature, uh, how they handle themselves. Personality-wise, I would say in some ways they're similar. 
you know. As we get to know Daniel Jones and his personality more, they're very calm in their approach, um, but they're very fiery under under the covers, and I think that's the. I don't think you want to um, misrepresent either one of them because they're they're both very fiery about making sure things are done properly. They demand it of themselves and they demand it of the people around them. Training camp is coming up where we'll get to see just how calm but fiery D jokes and the rest of the Giants team can be under the summer heat of Quest Diagnostics Training Center. This is a part of the season where things start to get serious, even more so for rookies and drafted and undrafted. From this point on, coaches are now seriously looking to see which players are really taking care of their bodies and who has the endurance, stamina, and perseverance to be not only an NFL player, but to be one of the 53 names that gets put on that first final roster at the end of preseason. Now, of course, there are players who are already locked to make the roster like Eli Manning, who Coach Sherm wasted no time announcing as a starter at QB for the 2019 season. And as a rule of thumb, players who sign huge multi-year deals or extensions during this offseason should be safe, like Sterling Shepard, Golden Tate, and Anton Bethia. And yet still, there's players that you look at and you just know, like, duh. Of course, they like the roster, like Saquon Barkley, Nate Solder, and Jack Rabbit. But we don't want to talk about or watch T-Camp for things we already know. We watch and talk about T-Camp for what we don't know and for speculating on what could be. For instance, three things I think all Giants fans should be looking at during training camp, especially when the team finally puts pads on. It's a QB depth chart behind Eli Manning, but O-line composition now that Mike Remmers and Kevin Zeitler are in the picture. Most importantly, what's the big picture that... James Betcher, the defensive coordinator, has for the defense. More importantly, the secondary. Last offseason, the Giants invested heavily in their front in the middle of the defense, drafting guys like Lorenzo Carter and B.J. Hill, who had a tremendously underrated rookie year, breaking the rookie sack record for the Giants last season and signing guys like Kareem Martin, who also had a quietly good season last year. However, that doesn't mean that there's was some misses too and we have fair good amount of misses like he's not even part of the defense with Jonathan Stort (sighs) what a guy but we had we had a surprise the most surprise bus free agent signing we had last year was Connor Barwin who signed a two-year deal with the Giants but after a sucky not sucky a trash stat line was cut by the team a day before the Super Bowl and let's not forget the cornerbacks all three cornerbacks that get men signed, thank God, to only one-year deals are gone and good riddance. Curtis Riley, who is without a doubt the worst tackler I've ever seen play in the NFL. B.W. Webb, who I don't even know what the Giants saw in him. Evan William Gay, who, I kid you not, the Giants tweeted had a lot of energy left in his tank. And then two months later, he literally retired from the NFL without playing a single game for the Giants. However, to replace and remove these nightmare signings, we now have DeAndre Baker, winner of the Jim Thorpe Award, which is given to the top defensive back in college football, Julian Love, a runner-up to the same award that Baker won, and we have Corey Ballantyne, who I know a lot of people didn't know this, but it was a winner of a Cliff Harris Award, which is given to the best small school defensive back in the country. That's two top DBs already have awards for their production on the field, and one who would have had one had an award if it weren't for the other guy that we drafted getting it. It gets even better because they're all young, they're all healthy, and they're all confirmed Giants for at least the next four years, maybe even five for Baker if the Giants pick up his option. DeAndre Baker, of course, being a first round a first round draft choice. 
Baker will most likely begin strictly work as a cornerback, as I project Ballantyne based off of his film, also filling in as a nickelback when we do the nickelback formation, tracking down slot receivers where he's needed. As for Julian Love, Betcher has had him working all around, over the place, but it's been put out very that the Giants are considering changing his position entirely to that of a free safety, working with Michael Thomas. The turnaround that the defense has been through is almost magical to the secondary alone. Now when we get now when we get to the D line, the addition of Dexter Lawrence and Pierre Olsen should prove to be a boost to the pass rushers like BJ Hill, Ryan Connolly, and Lorenzo Carter to be more free to get to the QB. And if you're not getting to the QB and getting that sack, at least we'll be able to pressure him pressure them for the revamped Giants secondary to take advantage of a bad throw. Are you guys listening to what I'm saying? The Giants defense is back. Too many people are worried about what players on other teams are saying about the Giants and other things to even realize it. Our defense was near dead last in many rankings and categories last season, but that is certainly going to change. I remember when the Giants let Collins walk in free agency, we were all joking that Getman didn't believe in the secondary. He didn't care. He didn't care. But he surely changed that thought after the draft. The NYPD 2.0 is coming. Sam Beal said it himself, so just get ready. In regards to the O-line, I remember that Mike Remmers had an issue that prevented him from getting too heavily involved during OTAs. The hope was that he would be cleared to go as a full participant for training camp, so hopefully that is indeed the case. We have Nate Soder at left tackle, check. Will Hernandez at left guard, check. John Halapio or Spencer Pulley for center. Kevin Zeitler at right guard, check. And either Chad Wheeler or Mike Remmers at right tackle. Nah, we have Mike Remmers at right tackle. Check. Since last season, the Giants have added two proven guys to the O-line, especially in Zeitler, who was one of the top five guys in his position last year. The position to watch for in the O-line is a battle for center. After winning last offseason, Holipio suffered a season-ending ankle injury and will now have to compete with Spencer Pulley, who just signed a three-year contract extension with the Giants to try and get his starting position back. I feel like compared to Pulley, Jalapio is definitely more physical, but at the same time, Pulley has that chemistry of Hernandez, and I'm sure Jalapio lost while recovering. And it just, it also seems that Sherm really likes Pulley based off a contract extension he gave him. I think Jalapio might be fighting a losing battle to get his spot back, but the good news for him is he won't be cut. You can never have too much O-line talent, as I'm sure we all know as Giants fans, and you can certainly not have enough centers. Finally, as the last part of my T-Camp assessment, we have a QB depth behind Eli Manning. Right now behind Eli Manning, we have QB's Alex Tanney, who was re-signed by the Giants a few months ago, the guy who breaks ankles and speed limits, D-Jokes, and Eric Dungy. On Twitter, I said that in regard to the QB depth chart, it wasn't about who starts because that's clearly going to be Eli Manning. I said that it's a matter of whether the Giants keep three QBs or four. I got a lot of mixed responses from that statement with folks saying Sherman won't keep four and that he'll keep three. I even had a guy who told me that he was just going to only keep two, which I don't think he's going to keep just two QBs. That would be stupid. I got even more mixed responses about which QBs he will keep. And in most cases, it was either Tinny or Laletta getting the boot, but Eli Manning always got to stay as well as D-Jokes. Here's what I think about the QB death chart under a further look. First off, Elon Manning will be QB1. Sherman already said that he's going to be the starter on the team, so 
Eli Manning, QB1. Followed by that, we have Tanny, who will be QB2. And next will be, of course, Daniel Jokes at QB3. And Laletta, if he's not traded, will be cut alongside Eric Dungy. People seem to have a sort of infatuation with Eric Dungy. And I get it. He's a homegrown talent from Syracuse. What's not to like about him? Until you see him play. I watched Dungy play a couple games last last college season. In case you folks don't know, last season was my first time actively watching college football. And he was the first QB to go on my no list of QBs that would have absolutely destroyed my TV if the Giants drafted. So yeah, it's kind of ironic to me that he still somehow found another way to get on the team. People have also been discussing how the Giants could use Dungy as a Giants version of a of Taysom Hill, and while I like that idea, I seriously doubt it'll happen on this Giants team. While that is simply put, it's just another Davis Webb, except he never posted any cool workout videos for us to look at. All he gave us was some cool jukes and a traffic violation. That sums up my in-depth T-Camp assessment. Some other things I think you guys should look out for is um, the wide receiver depth and past wide receiver three. Darius Slayton made some phenomenal progress during OTAs, but we still also have Cody Latimer, Russell Shepard, who was brought back, and Corey Coleman in the mix. And speaking of Coleman, we have to figure out who gets kick and punt return duties. Coleman was the most prolific of a returnment we had last season, which... We had some pretty shitty returnmen, but Jabril Peppers, who was, of course he got in the trade for OBJ, was a starting returnman return man for Cleveland. So we might see that duty either split between Coleman and Peppers, or the duty just might be entirely given to one of them. In this case, it would most likely just go to Peppers. And finally, I have a hot, I have a very very hot take right here. Watch BJ Goodson. The Giants added Marcus Golden and Keon Adams and drafted Ryan Connolly to bolster the mid-guard. And unless he produces, this summer I think Goodson might be on his way out off the team. This concludes my T-Camp assessment and now we're going to get into a little segment I like to call Curtis Riley of a Week. Now this segment is called Curtis Riley of a Week and we all know who Curtis Riley is. He is the worst tackling, horrible angle taken, burnt bagel of all free safeties that ever enter the league. And we had to endure a whole season of his shit before he left and spread his bullshit to Oakland. Riley was so bad week in and week out, you have to almost respect how he was able to somehow trick Sherman Betch into letting him start all season. So the Curtis Riley of a Week Award is basically a recognition of someone who takes an angle that is so stupid. Stupid, physically or figuratively each week, and I plan on doing this every week throughout the season. The honorary first Curtis Riley of the week is Baker Mayfield. Now, before we go any further, let me just put out that I respect the hell out of Mayfield and wish him success in his upcoming season. It should be a good one for him and his teammates. However, Mayfield made some comments relating to Giants fans in his attempts to defend OBJ from criticism in an interview that he did for ESPN. The interview in the interview he is quoted as saying. He, OBJ, is here to work, and he wants to be surrounded by people who love and support him and allow him to be himself. Okay. He also said this, and this is what I have the issue with. Mayfield said he's here in Cleveland to play in front of fans who actually care, who will actually show up to every game and pack the stadium and love him for who he is. Really? Clearly, this is Mayfield talking out of his ass. Fans that actually care? People that will actually show up to games? 
But Giants have a season ticket waiting list of over 70,000 with folks waiting 20 plus years for tickets. But Browns just made a season ticket list just this year because of all the talent John Dorsey acquired in one offseason that suddenly brought out all these quote-unquote diehard Browns fans. To suggest that Giants fans didn't love and support OBJ is a flat-out lie. We supported OBJ, and the front office even made him the highest-paid wide receiver at one point. I get that Baker was trying to defend his teammate, but he took a horrible angle and was to protect OBJ from, and in the process, he only angered an entire fan base. So congrats, Baker, you dummy. You are the honorary Curtis Rally of the Week for defending your teammate using the worst possible angle ever, and I can't wait until the Giants smack you and your team around with a meet in 2020. Alright folks, this is the conclusion of episode 2 of Emperor Talk with Emperor Mira. I want to thank all of you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. It really means a lot to me. If you listen to the pilot episode, you can tell just by listening to this episode that I'm slowly but surely adding new effects and mediums to each episode. So hopefully by week 8, my podcast sounds super professional because this is all still new to me and I'm learning as I go along. Again, I want to thank you so much for listening and taking time out of your day to just listen to this. You guys can reach me at Emperor Mira on Twitter. This is Emperor Talk of Emperor Mera, and the Emperor is signing off.